This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 44 of Good Beer Matters. That sounds really cool. That's so amazing. I wish I could do that. And he kind of looked at me and was like, you can. Melbourne is is kind of the hub for craft beer and beer education. Australia and New Zealand both, they really do have the U.S. beat as far as full-flavored, sessionable beers. Once upon a time, U.S. TV commercials told us that Australia had a single word for beer. Now things have changed, and the new word for beer down under is craft. I've never been to Australia or New Zealand. Honestly, craft beer is not the first thing I think of when it comes to down under. For me, it conjures images of the Great Barrier Reef, the Maori, the Aborigines, kangaroos, and men at work. I was lucky enough to discover an American expat and beer guide who has experienced beer culture here in the U.S. as well as having lived in New Zealand and Australia for the past three years. In this episode, she shares a story of travel, living abroad, brewing way down south, and how beer from both Australia and New Zealand are making really big waves for the global beer culture. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 44 of Good Beer Matters with certified Cicerone, Lindsay Gregg. I've been overseas. Well, t- we'll talk a little bit about your your history, your experience, and your role in the beer world, and then and then like tag on to your traveling throughout Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. So, um, I started working in beer about five years ago. I grew up in Southern Missouri, but um, I was living in New Orleans at the time, and I was living there because they had huge uh, tax credits for the film industry. Um, I was an actor. I was pursuing acting. And as an actor in the States, most of us always work bar jobs. Um, That's just synonymous with being an actor is you're probably going to be a bartender at some point in your career. Um, And I'd always gravitated towards craft beer bars, not really thinking much of it. Um, But living in New Orleans, I was managing a craft beer bar in the French Quarter. We had like 50 taps, and it was all Louisiana craft-focused, which at the time I think was a total of like 15 breweries in Louisiana. 
Um, so I was, I was working there and managing there and starting to get a little bit more into beer. I lived like two blocks from a nano brewery called courtyard brewery. Um, and by a happy set of circumstances or like a happy coincidence, I guess, uh, the assistant brewer at courtyard, um, got injured with an accident with like hot wart essentially um oh yikes yeah it was it wasn't good the bottom of because we uh we just like wore you know everybody was in like tennis shoes and he was wearing soft tennis shoes and some wart had leaked out and kind of burnt the bottoms of his feet so he was out of commission for a little while um and the owner head brewer um was like do you want to come work for me? And I didn't really know anything about brewing. Um, and I kind of just said, yeah. So I quit my, uh, bar management job and just started working at courtyard. So it's like, it was like a three barrel system, really, really tiny, um, making some really great beers. So he's very like California and like IPA focused. Um, so I just kind of dove in head first and I was doing everything from like, helping with cleaning the little fermenters to like brewing, um, lots of cleaning, bartending. It was a small staff. So we all just kind of did everything there. Um, so that was my first like kind of awakening, I guess, where I was like, ah, I could actually like just do beer stuff. Like this is, this is something you can do for a job and this is really great. And I fell in love with the community and, um, like I said, Louisiana beer scene was really, really small at the time. So it was easy to kind of get to know everyone. And I did really feel like it was this amazing community where it was local producers supporting other local producers is what it really boiled down to. Um, and then I, there was a Avenue pub. If anyone, if any beer drinkers ever been to new Orleans, um, they probably know Avenue pub. It's one of the best beer bars in the country i think it normally hits the ratings it's a 24-hour craft beer pub in new orleans there was a bartender there and it was during mardi gras and he was moving to new zealand to manage a craft beer bar um in a small town in new zealand that was on a beach and i was just chatting to him and i was like that sounds really cool that's so amazing i wish i could do that and he kind of looked at me and was like you can like if you want to you can um, and then a few months went by the person who he was working for in New Zealand actually came to New Orleans. I met up with him and he offered me a job in New Zealand to manage a craft beer bar on a beach. Huh. And I had a few beers. I went home I booked a one-way ticket to New Zealand and that's how I ended up there. Um, just like that. <laughs> it's, yes, you can. It's that easy. Yeah. And I, to be honest, like, I didn't even know where New Zealand was. I thought it was, um, I thought it was going to be warm and tropical, like a beach bar. And then I got there and I realized, well, a little before I went, one of my friends was talking about New Zealand and he was like, Oh, a beach bar in New Zealand. Like that's really close to Antarctica. And I was like, is it? <laughs> and I kind of Googled it. and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> Should probably know where I'm what going. What have I done? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So Ended up in New Zealand, what was originally just going to be a summer, um, helping manage a, a craft beer bar, which there aren't, it's talking about that. There's not a lot of independent, and I'll probably get into that later. There's not a lot of like 
craft venues in New Zealand. And even three years ago, like it was few and far between throughout the entire country. Um, so to have a small town, a small like surfer town, have a bar that served independent beer was a really big deal. So I was able to kind of dive headfirst into the New Zealand beer community, um, which is a very, very tiny community. It's a really small country. Um, and kind of get to know people through that. But yeah, it was supposed to be four months and then I ended up staying, um, staying with that company for a year and a half all up. Then I hopped on over to Australia and yeah. And just kind of kept the the travel train going. Yeah. Well, it was always, um, I mean, I was able to work in New Zealand under a working holiday visa, which a lot of people, I find a lot of people in the States don't even know about that. Um, But if you're under 30, you can get a free working visa to New Zealand um, Ah. that allows you to live and work there for a year. So it's completely free. You apply online, they grant it, and then you can go to New Zealand for a year and live and work. And it's a really common thing that a lot of people from like European countries and even South American countries like know about this program. I, I, I don't think a lot of Americans actually do, or that we know that it's available to us because I moved to New Zealand at 28. Had I known that the working holiday visa was a thing, I think I probably would have gone there, you know, much younger. Um, Oh yeah. But I'm, I'm really lucky that I I knew about that. Um, So I was able to, Huh? I was just saying, that's Sorry. just a raging bummer that is just for young people. That's total ageism because, you know, I, I would love to take my family and move somewhere cool like that. And, um, and and I had opportunities when I was young and like end of college and wanted to travel, but I I, I didn't have the follow through um, or, or, or yeah. I should say I had the follow through of a, a mid 20s year old boy. And um, so needless to say, I didn't I didn't go. I figured, oh, I'll I'll do that later. I'll do that later. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I don't think, even when I booked, I mean, when I booked the ticket, I had had quite a few beers. Um, (laughs) So it was kind of just like, I spent like $600 on a one-way ticket that wasn't refundable. So then when I woke up the next day, I was like, oh, I guess I'm doing this. (laughs) Like, I'm going to leave. And I think I, I made that decision in May. And then I left in October. Um, so yeah, I had a, I had five months I, I to kind a, of like really prepare myself. Well, I have a sneaky suspicion that uh, beer was involved in a tremendous amount of both good and bad decisions. So um, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> yeah. that worked out for you in a positive manner. Um, but you know, it, so I I want to kind of detour real quick, just because yeah. um, I've had conversations with um, you know my my brother in law talks about New Zealand all the time, um, and you know just wanting to train, and he's an insatiable traveler. That he and his he and his wife and kids have been all all over the world. My nieces have been all all over the world, and and one is just starting college, and one is just starting high school, and they've been more places than I have, and a lot of people have. Um, but they've talked about New Zealand quite a bit. Uh, from the standpoint yeah. of it's really hard uh, to move there and become an expatriate uh, from the standpoint of, um, you know, they, they just don't want the average person to come and take their jobs. They actually have a list of jobs they actually need 
people for, you know, being like a doctor or maybe even a cop or something like that. Um, and I wonder if uh, brewing is on that list, just because if you get someone from the United States or especially a hot spot like uh, Denver, San Diego, Portland, or Delaware, something like that, as, as a brewer and, you know, show up to New Zealand and say, hey, you want to brew some world-class beer? Yeah, so that would be, um, that's under skilled visas. Um, brewing is not on the list for Australia, but people who have a chemistry background or some sort of science background and some sort of work history that involves that can get, like, skill shortage visa can actually come to Australia on the skill shortage visa just on that without having employment sponsorship. Um, New Zealand is... in. New Zealand is the same way. So when I first went over there, you could actually be sponsored to stay um, if you had a a background in like restaurant management. Mm. Um, so you have to have so many years of provable work experience in a specific role, like a like a venue manager or like a, a general manager of a restaurant or a bar. Um, and when I first moved over there, you could be sponsored under that. They don't need those roles filled anymore because tourism was booming and they didn't have people with enough experience to um, like manage bars and restaurants. So there was a skill shortage at the time, along with chefs. Chefs, I think, actually can still be sponsored to work in New Zealand. Um, there's a skill shortage for chefs there or at least there was while I was still there. I don't know if that's because immigration things are constantly changing. Sure. Um, there's always an update to immigration stuff, which, so while I was there, um, it was likely that I was going to stay, but the company I was working for and the company that I was being sponsored with, there was only so far I could go. There was like a woman above me and I didn't really have like, she's never going to leave that role. She's amazing. Um, yeah, she just has her place within the company. So there wasn't really room for me to grow. And that's why I came over to Australia was because when I came over here, I could still get a working holiday visa because I just turned 30. And there was an, a likelihood of me being able to be sponsored by, like, at the time that there was skill shortage for, once again, like, venue management, hospitality management. Hmm. So I thought there was a chance for me to be sponsored to stay in Australia. Um, so that was one of the things that prompted my move over here. And I don't know if I should advertise it, but a lot of companies, they'll, <laughs> they'll put your role as like a venue manager when you're actually doing another job, especially with breweries, because you can't be sponsored to be a brewer. They can sponsor you as let's say a chef but then you're actually working as a brewer um so they're just focusing on they, they just want to uh, check they just want to check the box make sure everything's everything's legit and then if they get audited yeah. they say well yeah we hired this person for this but we're small we need him or her to help us over here as well yeah yeah so a lot of people got through i think on that and a lot of like i mean there's heaps of expat brewers over here like american brewers um in australia and in new zealand um but laws have changed recently where it's not as easy to get in and with to me i think what's so frustrating with the australian beer scene growing they do really need like a lot of breweries need people with brewing experience and um 
need people with really strong resumes, but right now the Australian government isn't recognizing that as a need. Um, and I, I've spoke to a lot of, you know, brewery owners and, um, like just, just different people within the industry and they, everybody's equally frustrated by it that they can't sponsor, like a brewery can't sponsor a brewer to stay in Australia right now, which is really unfortunate. (laughs) Is one able um, to, like, for example, in Europe, um, and I don't know if I have my facts straight, but I remember hearing about this from a a friend in the travel industry who's actually living in Spain uh, and has been for the last two and a half years. But he told me that when you go to Europe, you can only stay there for like 100 days. It's like the Shenzhen visa and in order to get around that, then you have to leave Europe. Or in this case, I think they were even allowing people to go to uh, England because they've got, you know, a, a foot out of the EU anyway. Um, you had to just go stay there for like a weekend or a week or something and then be able to come back to Europe and start your 100 days all over again. Does um, Australia, New Zealand, do they have a similar type of thing where you just have to leave the country and head somewhere else for a bit and then come back and start over? Um, so you can't, you wouldn't be able to legally work unless you, you had a working visa. Um, but as far as like, like if someone wants to visit Australia, I believe the visitor visa without working rights for Australia is like a year. Um, New Zealand, it's only three months. So you can only visit New Zealand for three months at a time. Um, I have a friend who just traveled around New Zealand for like seven months, but he did have to go on visa runs, which is where you leave the country and go back in. Okay. Um, but, but, that, yeah. but that's just for the tourists, but for people who want to work there, that's a completely different process you're saying, right? Yep. Completely, completely different and not easy, not cheap either. Not, not cheap for, um, companies to sponsor or not cheap for anyone who wants to move here and work. Mm. Um, it's, it's expensive and difficult. It's gotten more difficult in recent years. I think, yeah, I, I mentioned that a little bit earlier, but three, four, five years ago, it was a lot easier to sponsor people. Um, and now it's just, I think, I mean, with governments everywhere, we're, uh, tightening down on immigration, I guess. So, so for that person who wants to follow in your footsteps per se, um, it's just just gotten harder now and they're going to need, they're going to need some extra dollars in their pocket. Yeah. Or just be under 30. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're, if you're I've under been trying. 30 and, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and that even means 29. I mean, the working holiday visa, you have to apply for it. Um, the one to New Zealand for Americans, you apply for it before you turn 30. So let's say if you apply for it at 29, you actually have a year to enter the country. And then once you've entered the country, you have a year to stay. Um, but I like for Australia, I'm still, I'm on a working holiday visa right now. Um, so I was able to get it extended for a second year. Um, and all I had to do was there's, there's work limitations that I have on the current visa. Um, one of them is that I cannot work for any company in Australia for more than six months, any one company. So every six months you have to change a job. Oh, so uh, so you've been job hopping by necessity. By necessity. And then another thing I had to do was to get my second year visa, um, I had to do 
hospitality or tourism work above the Tropic of Capricorn, um, which is just northern Australia. It's it's like I I live in Melbourne, so it's a completely different world up there. Um, But I, I was really lucky and I because of the company I was working for in Melbourne and because of the connections that I've made, I was able to work for a brewery that had just opened up a new venue in Cairns, um, which is like one of the Great Barrier Reef access points. So I was able to work for a brewery um, and help train their staff and get them up and running and then also develop their brewery tours. And and, um, I had to do that for three months (laughs) to get my second year visa. Interesting. Um, well, let's, yeah. let's let's use that as a springboard to dive into the next topic. Um, we kind of yeah. alluded to beer education in Australia. So here you are. Mm. You are a certified Cicerone, are you not? Yep. And and are you? Uh, you're also prepping for the advanced, correct? Yes. Have Have you set your test date yet? So I I was going to take it in November um, in Chicago, oh. but I'm. Me and another girl, there's another American here. Um, her name's Becky, and she's certified, and she's also wanting to take her advanced, and we've had a little study group going. Um, but it's such – it's so expensive for us coming from the Australian side um, to try to correlate it with a trip that we have planned to the States anyways, and then the exchange rate's pretty not great. Um, uh, so I was going to take mine in November, but there's been other stuff like with my visa work, um, that I've been dealing with. So I'm pushing it back to next year. I don't know when next year, cause I need to set a good time to travel to the States. Um, but I, I'm thinking I'm going to travel to the States like end of July and August. And if there's any exam date around there, that's what I'm going to latch it on to. How funny. So um, I was going to test in Chicago in November, just a couple of weeks from now, from when we're talking. Um, yeah. And, and it, it kind of like you kind of life, uh, life just kind of sometimes happens and, and, uh, priorities shift. And so I had to, uh, change that for next spring. So I've, I've got a few extra months to cram all this ridiculous beer knowledge in my head. But, um, yeah. But so here you are, yeah. uh, certified Cicerone. You're you're uh, prepping for the advanced. So uh, you are learning a ton about beer. Tell me about the level of beer edu- the general beer education in Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's gotten so much better in New Zealand as well. Like it's. Um, there's not a lot of Cicerones in New Zealand. I haven't checked their stats, but when I first moved to New Zealand three years ago, I think there was only one certified Cicerone in all of New Zealand. Um, in Australia, there's about 50 of us and there's only one advanced, um, in all of Australia. Um, Melbourne is, is kind of the hub for craft beer and beer education. Um, but the, the, the beer industry is so interesting here um, just because and a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that large breweries can still contract taps. 
Um, So there's no three-tier distribution. So you have the large players, like one of the large players is Carlton and United. Um, That's like, that would be like the Budweiser um, over here. And actually they were part of AB and Bev, but they just sold to Asahi. Um, But you go to a lot of bars in Melbourne and they just have contracted taps with just the UB beers. Um, So it, it makes it hard for beer variety um, and especially in the smaller towns where pretty much every bar just sells the same beers. And so um, do these, do these bars, you know, and so this harkens back to the U S and pre uh, prohibition where we had tied houses where breweries yeah. basically, they didn't own the bar, but they owned the taps in the bar. So they may as well own the bar. But, um, and, yep. and so, and so, uh, and that, that's just a quick aside for anyone listening. Um, so that still happens in a lot of places outside the U.S. Uh, England, yeah. there's just a big thing about that in the last uh, few decades, I think, was where they were trying to reform that. But is that to say that all the taps in one particular pub are owned by one particular brewery or or they're contracted where if they've got 10 taps, five of them are going to be the macros and then they let the other five do what they want. Yep. So it's a combination of the two. Um, A lot of places that it went under contract years ago, you know, before there were even craft options, um, like they'll have all of their taps contracted and they're just known as a CUB bar. Like they are just a CUB bar. That's just what it is. Bars and restaurants. Um, some places you go to will have five, six, seven out of 10 contracted, but then they have like two that they won't contract and they do contract to independent breweries as well. So it's not just for, um, the, the bigger breweries, but small breweries can get contracts on taps. I know there was a bar in Melbourne that just opened and they have like, I think they have 10 taps, but nine of them are on contracts with independent. They only have independent beer. Um, but that means for any new brewery up and coming, um, you're on a waiting list to get on that one tap that they rotate between breweries. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so contracts are a thing. Contracts are a thing that uh, breweries have to navigate. Um, and it does make the craft market here uh quite competitive and i think really difficult as well um but it just for australians like and especially when i was up in Cairns, there were only four venues in this town of 150,000 that sold craft beer at all like independent beer um the rest of the venues were all contracted like they're all from the major breweries so this town is a major backpacking town, um, lots of bars in it, but all of them just have the same beers. So people who have maybe grown up in smaller town Australia, they don't really have the exposure um, to anything different than maybe what they've always had, which doesn't give a need for beer education, really. They just think of it as beer like oh just a pint of beer just a draft yeah like like we did um, back in the 70s and 80s where oh this this tastes like beer well <laughs> what kind of beer what do you yeah. mean what kind of beer it tastes like beer yeah and but now i mean you are starting to see smaller breweries like you're starting to see breweries pop up and small breweries pop up and you're starting to see 
Australians get kind of like very excited about, oh, we have a brewery in our town now. Um, but I think it's kind of just a time bomb that we're waiting for all of these contracts to just <laughs> with the with the large, you know, the the big breweries to kind of go away to open more people up to like drinking things of a wider variety of flavors. And so are, are you um, seeing that from the consumers as well? Well, they're, they're just becoming a little bit more, less resistant, more intrigued or. Yes, absolutely. Or is that just like a, like you said, like Melbourne is the craft hotspot. Hot I mean, outside of that, um, I, I would imagine the big cities like Sydney would, would, would be more welcoming to a global type of culture. But, um, what about some of these smaller towns? I mean, are are there still yeah. people resisting it or kind of like open to it? I think, and I just know my experience from Cairns, um, but I think it, it's kind of a mix of both. It is that, and I, re I remember the States, you know, 10 years ago when in Louisiana or uh, in, like I grew up in Missouri, I lived in Houston, but like when craft beer was sort of like, really starting to gain momentum um 2009 2010 in the parts of the country that i was living there were of course people that were really res resilient to it um and just not wanting to taste any of that homebrew stuff um and i kind of see that here now but it's the same thing where a lot of people breweries that open up in smaller towns start to get more of a loyal following and i think as a whole, as a country, we're sort of kind of starting to shift towards local suppliers. And Australia's, Australia and New Zealand especially is all about local, like supporting local, buying things made in Australia, um, like local produce, local food, um, especially in like far north Queensland where they have so much amazing like fresh produce, but it's really buying from local farmers. Um yeah, so I think that the the craft brewery scene, people are starting to see that they want to support local, um, and that the beer can be just as good. Um, well, and and I don't it, and sorry, go ahead and finish. Oh no no no, go ahead. <laughs> well, I want to I just I want to just be very clear for especially from anyone from Australia or New Zealand who may listen to this, I don't want to lump those two countries and cultures into like the same basket. I, I, I do understand right. that they're very different cultures, very different countries. So are we seeing the same type of uh, patterns in the world of beer in New Zealand as well? Yeah. I mean, New Zealand, because New Zealand's such a, what I found because it's such a, a small country, um, it does have a incredibly strong beer scene for being the size that it is. Like it's, there are heaps of breweries there. I mean, Garage Project is the most well-known, I think, and most internationally recognized. Um, but and New Zealanders are very, very proud of their their local brews. Um, the the town I lived in um, for summers, the the summer beach town I lived in, was Mongify Heads, tiny, tiny, tiny place, mainly a batch town. Um, which like holiday homes is batches. Um, but just like 15, 15, 20 minutes away from it is like who, and there's a brewery there called McLeod's and McLeod's is 
absolutely incredible um, and get so much support from that community. And, you know, there's eight wired as well as all like in the North part of the North Island. And you see these breweries gaining a lot of speed and they're not just doing normal beers. Um, eight wired and McLeod's both have very strong barrel programs and they put out sours and they put out, um, a lot of really interesting beers that aren't just your standard that you see. And once people, I think like the town I live, uh, Mungo people would drink McLeod's beer because it was from Waipu. It's from the next town over, you know, they were going to drink that. Um, they were going to support that very local business and they start out by drinking the pale ale. And the next thing you know, they're drinking uh, a sour, like an oyster goza, you know? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) Like, because they trust that brewery and they trust those beers. So they become more willing to try things. And I think that's how it is with Australia. I, I, they are completely different countries and, um, completely different beer scenes. But as far as my, my view is always coming from living in the States. And I have always felt that Australia and New Zealand, the beer scenes when I first got over here was a little bit behind the U S. Um, and I mean, everybody looks to the U S you know, for trends, um, for trends in the beer world. So it's been watching these two countries kind of develop like kind of imitate of course we've gotten on the new england ipa haze craze over here as well Mm. um but then now we're like you see both countries kind of developing their own beer styles and beer scene and um Mm. i think people are becoming more proud of that if that answers the question well no absolutely and i I think for me and and i would imagine for you as well being kind of like a scholar of beer is i find that so fascinating where right now people are watching what the u.s is doing and when we say the u.s we're talking about some major hot spots like portland denver san diego delaware like we mentioned uh of uh, yeah uh, among others um i don't want to disclude anyone but i'm not going to name them all um but they're watching and, and saying, okay, this is what the U.S. is doing, and the U.S. is on fire right now. So let's kind of do what they're doing. Um, but at some point, when they kind of learn how to do this stuff, and they start getting some momentum and start hitting their stride, I'm I'm just waiting for uh, further sub-styles to come out. I, you know, like I've, I've spoken to a number of people in Spain, and they have such an incredible and rich culinary tradition and a wine tradition that all these brewers when they when they finally start brewing beer and really know how to really finally realize oh hey this is how to really brew some beer we're going to start seeing some amazing things that i think will eventually surpass that of what we're doing here in the u.s yeah well i yeah and it's really just about each country kind of coming up with what their strength is instead of just um and i mean australia has some really amazing breweries but we have our own like there's sub styles here like xpa which (laughs) i didn't know what an xpa was um until i came to australia um and then pacific pale ale um Mm. like that wasn't i was like what is a pacific pale ale so you know you see these things emerging and granted like we 
I was so disappointed when I first got to New Zealand and I saw a lot of people using American hops (laughs) because I was like, I'm in New Zealand. And all I really knew about New Zealand was like Nelson Sauvin and Motueka. And I was like, why aren't people just using the New Zealand hops? Um, But at the time they were using a lot of like Cascade was such a major hop and Centennial Mm -hmm. and Simcoe and all of the big American players. Um, I was traveling around New Zealand and I was drinking a lot of American style IPAs, but now you're starting to see maybe American style IPAs, but made with more prominent New Zealand hops that bring totally different characteristics. And same with Australia. Like, um, I mean, Pacific Pale Ale is, to me, it's very much like, an American wheat, but with a lot of galaxy. And it's a really great, sessionable, hot day beer. Um, beach beer, it's such a good beach beer. Like Stone and Woods Pacific Pale Ale is um, what I think of as like an Australian craft classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that is, you know, that is a style that's very unique to Australia. Like, yeah. Well, are there breweries making XPAs in the states right now? Uh, I, I'm not aware of of any XPAs, but I will. Yeah. I will. Um, you know, I, and I want to say somewhere in the ballpark of 2010, uh, at least prior to that, and you know, ballpark. I'm going to just ballpark it. But before the Northwest was known for just the hops arms race, and this is verified with. Uh, everyone I've talked to, including, you know, um, a professor of fermentation at OSU, who's like a, like a globally renowned hop expert. He even talked about how the, the bitter, uh, hops, uh, arms race, uh, just kind of was kind of starting to get out of hand. And then along starts, you know, people are starting to mess around with some, some new world hops and that have more tropical flavors and have more nuance and more whatever. Next thing you know, I, I see, so I, I live in Oregon and we see a, a beer crowd come out some years ago um, from a good life brewing called sweet as. And of course, sweet as, you know, it's just kind of like a, sweet ass, bro. a yeah, common, common uh, Australian phrase. And you look at the yeah. list and it's just like all Australian flavored hops and it's just like this pale ale with all these tropical flavors and 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 just like character reminiscent of almost like a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is just very tropical and kiwi and fruity and just bright and just delicious and everything just shifted and now yeah. now everyone's got tropical hops and now now we've even got tropical hazy hops and it's just I mean the whole IPA uh, the whole idea of hops shifted and it seemed it, and I don't know this for a fact, but it seemed it kind of started with a discovery of hops from Australia, New Zealand, and a just completely different yeah. flavor profile. Yeah, they're they're crazy here, um, and they are like I mean, New Zealand hops, uh, New Zealand plant and food research is um, an incredible facility in Nelson that has a lot of experimental varieties, but you know they're responsible for. Nelson Sauvin and also Motueka and uh, Raquel, um, Dr. Rudy, I think is really interesting. Um, just, but they're all those like crazy white grape, almost grassy, mm. um, but then fair, but not grassy in like a, like a green, like a light, like a light grass. I always like a lime green grass. Um, and yeah, super like mango punchy, but not bitter. They're just crazy interesting hops. Oh yeah. Um, 
melon, so so many. Uh, well, great, and, there's and, great hops over here. Well, and, and that's and that's why I really, I, uh, in fact, when you and I first started communicating back and forth. I, I I think I asked you, it's like, hey, who would be great to talk to in Australia? Because I, I, I want to get, you know, that perspective, um, you know, from from that part of the world. And as you and I con- continued to communicate and I got to know a little bit more about your background, I was thinking, holy hell, I need to talk to her. And because you, you've been through New Zealand, you've been all through uh, Australia, and you have that the ability to compare and contrast it with what the U.S. is doing. Um, as well as having the education from Cicerone and, and advancing too, so that this just wor- really worked out perfectly. But for for those people who still think that um, that uh, Fosters is the uh, is the oh God. Is, is the Australian <laughs> beer, I've I've heard from numerous people that Australians don't even drink Fosters. It's not even made no. in Australia. No, so, it's not. No, so put that no. put that gigantic <laughs> ass can down. And tell me what what is actually a good Australian beer that that we might actually see here in the states? Oh gosh, um, like independent or something that's. Well, we probably so wouldn't know... see an independent over here, not necessarily. You know, I can think of like Cooper's Sparkling Ale, for example. That we we can find that, and we use that to, as an example of of a very distinct. Um, English Commonwealth beer, a.k.a. an Australian sparkling ale, but... Yeah, well, Cooper's is... Well, so, I've just recently... Cooper's is, like, one of the only very, very large independent brewery. Um, Cooper's is incredible. Do you get Cooper's Pale Ale over there? I believe so. Or is it just Cooper's Sparkling? Because I think what's really interesting about Cooper's Pale Ale and Cooper's Pale Ale Fresh is that um, it's quite yeast-driven. Um, it's quite farmhousey, um, which is really surprising if you're looking at, like, Carlton or VB Victoria Bitter. They're quite malt-driven beers as far as, far as like, the Budweiser of Australia would be, like, Carlton or VB. Okay. Um, but they're very, they're very malt-driven and kind of nondescript, whereas... Cooper's Pale Ale, you can find, like, if if nine taps are contracted to one of the big players, then one tap might be contracted to Cooper's. Um, so you can find it almost everywhere um, so, throughout so, Australia. They've so, done a really, really good job of that. But it is a very, like, it's actually a really, really nice beer. I think it, it kind of leans towards, like, almost a saison, but, um, everybody over here just, it's an Australian pale ale. Like that is the Australian pale ale. And so I wonder if they're shipping a different version of that beer to us, because granted, uh, we're going to get an older beer. And so we're, we're going to see oxidation. We're going to see the hops fall off. We're going to see just kind of muted flavors, but I didn't, I don't, I didn't taste anything that was overtly yeast driven farmhousey or even saison. Like it was very, it was very, it, it, it was, no, it was like a, like a, like a, it was almost like an American blonde, but with a lot of character and a lot more like tropical flavor. And instead of like uh, two volumes of CO2, it was more like three and a half, maybe not quite four, but probably three, three and a half is just super, super sparkly. And, and uh, yeah. the carbonation was just very, very assertive. Um, and just a yeah. heck of a palate cleanser, but, um, 
but you know, I, I can only imagine what it'd be like fresh, but uh, you know, I, I know that there are some companies that ship a completely different recipe to a different part of the world, just based upon, um, just palate demographics. So I wonder if that's the case. Yeah. Here. Well, I mean, the same thing with American beers coming over here though, is a lot of times we'll get American beers, um, and it'll be something that I'm super familiar with and I'll, I'll go to have a pint and it's, um, super oxidized and just hasn't been handled well. Um, <laughs> Australia is really far away. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as like my purchasing decisions in Australia, I do really try to mainly buy Australian and New Zealand beers because it just takes so long for anything to get here from anywhere else. Sure. Well, and, and, and on your so Instagram feed, I, I saw that you, you, uh, because you're always posting pictures of you with different beers. Um, so life must mm. be really good, but uh, you did have a, uh, yes. um, you did have a, a picture where you're holding up a Deschutes, uh, I think it was a 29, uh, Blackbeard Porter uh, 29. So that is a very big, strong beer they put out every year for their anniversary. So a yeah. beer like that, I would imagine would make that trip and fare uh, pretty well. Yep, it did. It was, um, so there might've been some slight issues with it. It was, it was a little, um, it was a little more one note than I remember some of the past iterations of it being, um, there might've been a little bit of oxidation on it, but I was having that in cans in Queensland and to get beers up there. I mean, it's, it's, not there's not a lot of cold shipping that goes up there um but it was also that beer i think cost me 60 dollars oh my gosh australian i I was just impressed that you found that here I, I, in huh? fact, I, 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 I was, I'm impressed that you even found that. In fact, I was going to accuse you of having that shipped in. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, um, the brewery I worked for up in Cairns, we actually sold some decent things other than what was, uh, available at the brewery. And so I, I had purchased that, um, from Hemingway's, uh, from our little like takeaway shop from our cellar door or whatever um because i it was it was my birthday and um, i thought it was a good birthday beer to have in a tub overlooking a sunset um, outside that was great yeah i'm I'm sorry i mail how could i forget that little detail yes you were in a tub and there's a (laughs) a tremendous view in the back and you had a beer it's just kind of like yeah that 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 could be a, a poster for a lot of different things but um but, oh, yeah. but but I just I embarrassed myself. Well, I, <laughs> obviously I zeroed in on the on the beers like hey Deschutes and um, yeah. Well, and that's another thing as well. Like when we get American beers over here, man, they're just so expensive. It's expensive to drink in Australia as is. Um, like pints of craft beer run from like twelve to sixteen dollars on average. Is that um, that's Australian? Yeah, Australian. What does that convert to in U.S. dollars about? Oh, God. So right now, I think it would be like 8 to 12 U.S. Oh, so that's why you work in breweries, so you can get your beer for free. Yeah, pretty much. The truth. Um, I will get to the truth. Yeah, it's, it's, it's expensive to drink 
alcohol over here. Um, but I will say the great thing about the Australian beer scene is sessionable beers, and we also serve things in smaller sizes, so it's not just pints. Um, you can almost always get a half pint of some sort that ranges from American 8 to 10 ounces. Hmm. Um, so that's really nice, like See, small I, beers. I actually like that. Um, I, I discovered that uh, at a trip to Spain some years ago where they, you know, they serve their tapas y cañas. Um, it, it was just a five or six ounce beer. And it, you don't have it long enough for it to get too warm or just to sit yeah. and oxidize if you're sitting outside. I mean, you just enjoy that and have another one. Enjoy that. It, it kind of like a, getting a, a Kolsch in uh, Cologne, Germany. I mean, they serve those in like six ounce stangs and it's just, you know, yeah. it's just that, that is just so nice. Heck with the mug club. Yeah. I want the Kanye club. Well, and it's also just making things more, to me, it's more about sessionability. Like you're not just, well, I'm sort of dreading going back to the States because I know beers are such higher ABV and I think I'm just going to be knocked on my ass. Um, well, we are having a resurgence like, in session beers too. I mean, we, we are, uh, that's yeah. been kind of a trend lately as well. So, yeah, but I, so we land in LA and I like, I, uh, I'm going to be drinking those West coast IPAs. Well, <laughs> they're fresh and I haven't had like a really just, amazing fresh one and i'm looking forward to going down to like beachwood and visiting el segundo um, of course and i just like i'm i'm mentally preparing myself because we don't like beers in australia new zealand sessionability is so important um beers like average range from like 4.2 to five and a half percent and a lot of times when I know when like a customer comes to the bar and a beer is like 6%, they're like, Whoa, <laughs> Whoa. Do you have anything? That's a, that's a little too strong for me right now. Well, that, um, that's gotta be a kind of a holdover from the, uh, from the British because it's, it was kind of the same thing there where, I mean, exactly. You know, the, the scandalous extra special bitter would like top out at 6.2 and, and, but that was for a top night, you know, and yeah. How funny. Yeah, and it does, and there's there's definitely that influence over here as well. You know, there's still, um, I mean, New Zealand was only found in the 1800s, so of course they still have like a very strong English influence, and um, Australia does too. Like I think a lot of the the drinking um, culture and alcohol laws even are still. I mean, they're part of the Commonwealth, but it, it, it's very you can see you can see the relation. Mm between the two well um since we are getting on in time i um and be, be, yeah. be, before we start winding down because uh, yeah i'm you got the rest of your day I'm, i've got to go to bed soon but um uh <laughs> the uh before we start our little, little wind down question process what are some of the things that um oh gosh how how can i best phrase this question uh you know what does I'm, I guess I'm kind of asking a little bit of compare and contrast between the U.S. and uh, uh, Australia or New Zealand. Um, what are some things that uh, that they're doing down where you are that are just a little bit more interesting, a little bit more different than what what U.S. is doing? Mm. Um, I think. Australia and New Zealand both, they really do have the U.S. beat as far as full-flavored, sessionable beers um, in all ranges, whether it be a barrel-aged sour, 
um, or an IPA or, you know, like there are some great 3.2% sessionable IPAs here um, that are just, you know, they drink. You can't, you can't even tell they're low alcohol. And they're not um, too and dry. And just today I had a, I've been sipping on a, um, an oatmeal stout, uh, with smoked malts and coffee. That's 2.5%. Oh my gosh. So yeah, really nice from the clouds over in New Zealand. Um, so I think that that's something that they definitely do really well. Um, also I think, I mean, I, yeah, because I haven't been to the States in two years, um, I'm not entirely sure a hundred percent, like what it's really like drinking over there. I can't wait to find out, but, um, recently I just know that like, I'm sorry. It's changed quite a bit in the last two years. Yeah. Um, I can't wait. Uh, (laughs) but I know like, and especially where Melbourne right now, it's really like innovative and supportive and, um, the brewery I currently work at Molly Rose, He's Saison, sour focused. Um, you know, he's he's doing some really interesting stuff, like a coffee citrus sour. And I think that there's a support system here that's really, really nice. And other breweries really support him, and we support other breweries. And it, it's very like um, comradey and friendly. And I, I see that in New Zealand as well. Like everyone's just friends. Um, and I think that's, that's really nice, especially when the markets are so competitive. Um, but you go to something like I just judged at the independent beer awards and like, everybody's just such good mates with each other. Um, even though they have such a small share of the market, they're all just really in it together, which is just so nice to see. Um, it's kind yeah. of kind of like it was uh, some not not that long ago, and it's still pretty well, fairly amiable amongst the the craft brewers to an extent. But you know, with we're if if we have not surpassed eight thousand breweries in the U.S., we're we're about to be there. So yeah, you know, the, the, and so we're the the size of the pie is not growing it it's you know if anything it's being diminished by spirits and wine especially by uh, hard seltzers insiders but yeah. but even <laughs> even even though the pie isn't growing anymore or maybe diminishing there's more and more pieces of the pie coming in so uh, i i think yeah. i think brewers in the US are starting to get a little antsy the ones that have been around for a while who uh who used to see double digit growth and would slap each uh, high five each other uh, every monday through friday uh, they're not doing that anymore it it's getting yeah. it's getting tight okay so yeah, uh, that- Go, um, go ahead. I, sorry, I do want to say that the hard seltzer thing has not come over here yet. So, um, attention, all Australians is, and New Zealand uh, New Zealanders, resist it. Beer is better. Resist. Resist. I'm, I'm really. I'm hoping it doesn't. I'm sorry. Um, I am. I am so biased, but I've tasted them. My wife likes them. Um, I, you know, I see. I see the value in them. It's, it's just a different tool for a different job, but to me, they are just so flavorless um and and some are better than others but i mean you know i'm coming off of like a nice 
Session Blonde or a Cooper's Sparkling Ale or an ESB or something <laughs> or something that you know is very thirst quenching. Oh, in summertime, give give me the the uh, beer version of margaritas or a grown up Gatorade and just you know just give me a Gosa and I'll drink that all day long. And I, I don't yeah. want I don't want a sparkling ale. If I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink. <laughs> you mean a, a hard seltzer? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm like sorry. Like a Lacroix with, like a Lacroix with alcohol. Yeah. Oh, right? did I say cider? I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I've, I've, I've got mad leper cideries, but uh, yeah, the, the hard seltzers. I'm, I'm just not there. I'm not there yet. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a, a gin and soda, or before I have one of those. Same thing, I guess. Um. Anyway, yeah. so let's uh let's let's begin this wind down series. So I I'm gonna yeah, take my okay. uh, my magic mash paddle and wave it over your head and you get to be a queen of the beer world for a day. What's yeah. what are you going to change? Uh, um, you are not allowed to serve amazing independent craft beer at your venue unless you've passed a very strict exam about beer service and line cleaning and beer clean glassware. Like you do not get the right unless you pass an exam. <laughs> Excellent. Um, just because I, I see a lot of, there's just a lack of education about, um, in Australia, in, well, everywhere really, um, just about what a clean glass is, um, what clean lines are. Like so many times I'll, I'll go to, bars I'm not familiar with and order a beer that I'm very familiar with and it it comes out just horrible um, and undrinkable and it's not the beer um, it's you know the lines and the points of service so that if I was clean for a day that's I would make people pass an exam before they were allowed to um, take the care of craft beer into their hands nice nice (laughs) I love that uh, in fact, it was that experience that um, that kind of uh, spurred uh, our our beloved Cicerone founder Ray Daniels into you know as the story that he tells it, you know just having a, yeah. a very well known beer that he's had hundreds of times um, and he has it and it was just horrible. I said, God, this is this is terrible. Someone ought to do something about this. And and as he tells the story, you know, all eyes just looked at him. And next thing you know, he's doing something about it. And 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 here you and I are uh, studying like mad uh, about beer. Um, all thanks to him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so if, uh, and, and I know you've listened to this podcast before, so I know you, uh, you know, what's coming next, but, um, if you yes. were, if, so yeah, I'm sure you thought about this. Um, if you, uh, had the ability to choose your very last meal and your very last beer, what would they be? Yep. So I have been thinking about this. Um, <laughs> and because I grew up in Missouri, Boulevard wheat is just, Ooh. I cannot wait to get back to Missouri and have a boulevard wheat with, dare I say, a lemon slice in it, which is kind of sacrilege, but that's just how we drink it in Missouri, a pint of boulevard wheat. Um, it is so refreshing and flavorful and has that citrusy note and a very full mouthfeel and a little bit of little bit of a spice thing to it. I can't wait to have that beer. Um, so I would love, like, that would be my last beer, just a big old pint. Um, with a lemon slice and I, I'm just really homesick, but a really solid 
plate of nachos. Oh my gosh. Um, that is probably one. That's one of my favorite uh, last meal answers as well. It's nachos. Just good nachos. Yeah. Mm. Nachos. But it has to be good nachos, man. Like I want fresh jalapenos. Don't give me any of those old things. Oh. Um, yeah. Not, a, not ball game nachos. <laughs> no, I want like just a, big mound of nachos with my boulevard wheat and I will die the happiest person. Mm, I love yeah. it. And, and, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I grew up where we, uh, drink Mexican lagers with lime in it. And, and, uh, you know, of course lime is there to, uh, hide sins and make it nice and bright and acidic on a hot, uh, day in the Southern California. But, um, there's a flavor and experience component there too. That's just magic. So I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I am definitely not going to judge you throwing some uh, citrus in your beer. Yeah. I judge myself. I've listened to a lot of um, podcasts with, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but the head brewer at Boulevard and, you know, he like putting a lemon in it became such like a Missouri thing and he's not against it, but kind of, would like to persuade you not to do that, but that's just what we do. And it, it does have a very specific, it just does something. Yeah. It's very nostalgic, you know? The very first wheat beers I ever had uh, in the beginning of the whole craft microbrew movement in SoCal back in the, that I remember paying attention to it in the 90s was, you know, all wheat beers were served with either lemon, maybe an orange. Um, and yeah. I thought that's just how it was supposed to be. Um, yeah. and, and now it's, it's I kind of like it, but I get grumpy when I'm not given the choice. It's like, no, let me decide. But still it, it, it it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, uh, with all of your experiences, um, particularly, uh, in the Southern hemisphere, um, and just kind of seeing, the U.S. and, you know, just seeing different cultures and, and understanding different cultures and everything, you know, um, in your estimation, why does good beer matter? Um, good beer matters because it, it brings an awareness to the present moment. Um, it's more than just sloshing down a pint, you know, it's more than just crushing something. It really is taking a breath and recognizing what you're drinking and, and where it's coming from and the flavors, like everything you're experiencing, it really is a mindfulness thing and um, bringing us all, like even if it's after a hard day at work, you sit down, you have a pint of beer and you just breathe and you're brought to the present moment and nothing else like the rest of the day doesn't really matter. You're just enjoying what's in front of you and really experiencing it. Um, yeah, it's like yoga of the beverage world. That's why good beer matters. I, I love that too. I agree with everything you've been saying. So, um, uh, how, well, um, I, I'm, I'm going to throw you for a curve, uh, because, uh, you, as you've mentioned to me that you've uh, listened to this podcast, so I'm going to ask you a question I've never asked anyone else before. Um, oh, great. <laughs> uh, what, uh, do you have a favorite episode? Ooh, mm. actually, um, so the one that was about, uh, draft lines, Draft lines. Okay, yeah, that was uh, with Master Cicero and Neil Witty. Yeah, formerly of Boulevard um, Brewing. 
Yeah, I, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's who it was. I love that episode though, because the entire time I was, I learned a lot from it. Um, but it's also just like someone's out there really fighting the good fight, like preach, um, <laughs> draft system maintenance. It's so, I, I can't believe how much of a, like an afterthought it kind of is, um, still. And, and, you know, I love going into a place that's like, oh, we clean our lines every week. We clean our lines between beers. Like that's, I love hearing that. That's, you're just like, oh shit, you care. Like that's so good. So I, I loved that episode. I have recommended it to, um, to many friends. Thank you. I, I think the thing I loved about that, here's a guy who is a master Cicerone. He was like the, he was like number four or five, I think it was, if I, re, if I remember right. And, and, you know, like a lot of people who are really into beer, they're going to take the, the food pairing, um, or the brewing or the ingredients or something that's just, you know, in the beer world, really, really sexy. And he took, in my estimation, what I imagine, like just a broad audience would assume is like the least sexy thing of beer. It's just nasty, <laughs> dirty, moldy, disgusting draft lines. And that's what he decided to become the expert on. And, and I, I just come, I just commend him for saying, okay, someone needs to do this. I got it. Yeah. So, um, so if anyone wants to connect with you, especially if they're uh, down under and they're like, Oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta learn from this gal. Um, how, how could, how could they reach out and connect with you if they desired to? Um, yeah, easiest way is probably through my Instagram, which is at talk beardy to me. And that's beardy B E E R D Y to me, T O M E. Um, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, you can also through the Cicerone website. I've had I've actually had some people contact me through there as well in the directory, um, so that's always useful. And I always forget about that tool when I'm trying to get in contact with someone that I can like go on the if they're a Cicerone, I can just go on the Cicerone website and reach out to them. Yeah, I admit I always I, forget I, about that. I forget about that too, but I I'll link I'll link your profile into this as well so people can connect one way or the other. Um, cool. So Thanks. Lindsay, any uh, last words of wisdom? Um, yeah, like I think just to anyone who's even thinking or, you know, if hopefully I've maybe inspired some young little beer guns to get out there. Um, if they're interested in moving to New Zealand or Australia, like just do it. <laughs> like it's so good to live in different beer cultures and experience different things and um i think it's really important to step outside your comfort zone um yeah just do it <laughs> right on thank that's you all I got. <laughs> that's all i got uh thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and and kind of talking to me about uh australia new zealand the beer cultures down there and um, yeah, that was just a huge mystery to me. And, and I'm glad it, it, what it, it took us like several weeks to kind of figure out this whole schedule or to, for me to figure out the schedule. Um, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Thank you for, thank you for taking the middle of your day off just to talk to me about beer. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Talk to you later. Cheers. <laughs> 
Exploring the world by traveling or living abroad is an incredible way to understand other cultures as well as developing a deeper appreciation of our own. Finding a beer expert like Lindsay to guide us through the food and beer of the region just makes the journey that much sweeter. Join us in the next episode where we head back to Hawaii, where one brewery is making an indelible mark on the environment and beer culture. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.